0: This podcast is an audio recording of a live event. It may reference visual material that cannot be represented in this recording. It may also contain strong language and adult themes. The opinions expressed in this podcast do not necessarily reflect those of Acme.
1: My name is James Nolan, and I am a film programmer here at Acme. and this is the third in a series of uh, talks that we've been bringing to, to our wonderful fashion audiences um, over the last year and a half. Uh, last year, we looked at uh, Yoshi Yamamoto and his everlasting impact on fashion, and before that, we looked at... Uh, Japanese denim and that unique and crazy world that (laughs) people uh, are are incredible fanatics about. And it was a really great uh, insight into yet another uh, inspiring uh, part of the fashion world. But today we're looking at fashion illustration and today we have three incredible panelists and who have each sent me incredible biographies and I'm going to read them out to you because they are all incredible individuals sitting next to me is Angie Ray would you make her welcome please Thank you. If you don't already know, <laughs> Angie is a Melbourne-based fashion illustrator and educator who works, celebrates her love of both art and fashion, having worked for some, of the, some time as a fashion designer. Her f- fresh, chic and timeless work has been sought by clients including Vogue, Elle, Harper's Bazaar, L'Officiel, Jimmy Choo and others. She balances, incredibly, (laughs) freelance work (laughs) with writing for her illustrated blog, Patsy Fox, and runs her own boutique style fashion illustration classes as the Drawing Salon, which some of you have been to, I think, (laughs) as well as regularly providing guest workshops and master classes for a selection of universities and art galleries around Australia. Welcome. Next to Angie, we have Katie Geppert. Katie is an artist and graphic designer who works in in the fashion industry alongside freelancing, freelancing, freelancing and creating watercolour fashion illustrations. Sorry. (laughs) i got a bit stuck there. (laughs) Like most creatives, Katie possesses a prolific and varied body of work, that's for sure. After studying film and multimedia, she uh, was employed uh, at Boeing Australia, which is crazy. Uh, In 2004, Katie moved to Melbourne and worked in film distribution, including Melbourne, um, sorry, Madman Entertainment, one of our screening partners here, until uh, late 2011, when she spent some time running her successful eco-friendly homewares label and playing in a band touring both the USA and Europe. (laughs) By 2014, Katie had shifted her focus to fashion, art, and Instagram. This is how her collaboration with Virgil Abloh, founder of fashion label Off-White, happened and we'll hear a little bit more later. Please make to welcome Thank you. See, they're incredible, aren't they? <laughs> Finally, we have Danny Whitfield. Danny is a writer and curator of, in the Fashion and Textiles Department at the National Gallery of Victoria. Since two thousand and one, when she joined the NGV, she has curated numerous exhibitions. Most recently, contributing to the House of Dior seventy years of haute couture in twenty seventeen. Danny has also published widely on the history of Australian fashion and contemporary design, and is currently working on an exhibition drawn from the works donated by the by Christina. Campbell, pretty, pretty sorry. Scheduled for early next year. Please make her welcome. <laughs> now, if you're familiar with the program that we have currently screening, we have two films: one looking at um, this drawings of Isadora and another one looking at um, a great uh, shoe designer, Manolo Blahnik. And when we were uh, putting together this program, we, we realised that there was this incredible bond between these two fashion designers and that being fashion um, illustration. And also, if you're uh, on the internet and on Instagram particularly, you, you'll probably, and if you're a lover of fashion, like I am uh, you 'll certainly uh, you 've probably noticed that the uh, the sort of social media has been sort of overwhelmed in a little bit in a good way uh, by <laughs> by fashion illustration, and I wanted to just um show you actually just uh, quickly some of the ones that I've been following recently which have sort of have sort of been a source of inspiration for this talk and 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 let's show these this one um this one this designer is Andrew Mashinov, um a Russian designer um who's based in Moscow and um he is extraordinary how he combines these sort of um menswear details with sort of the world of animals that's Mark McNary a fashion designer in the US Um, and I just thought it's it's interesting seeing menswear particularly getting some attention because it's actually unusual to see um, menswear fall under the illustrators spotlight and I'm pleased to see it to be honest yeah yeah (laughs) and they're just very classical but there's some great sort of I love that he's from Russia, not a typical uh, source of sort of fashion reporting, but they do, yeah. And he collaborates with a lot of um, menswear labels, particularly in Sweden for some reason, and creates beautiful uh, designs for pocket squares and things like that. So he's sort of, as you can see, there's a a real uh, style about it. This one, I'm sure as you can see this, this uh, is called uh, People of Fashion of fashion, as you can see there. And um, it's, her name is Jill Lynn. Uh She's based in LA in the USA. Um, and, I, and she sent me this, she said, three people of fashion, Jill wanted to celebrate the unique and different styles people have and they're animals, too, for the animals lovers out there. And, use, and uses people of fashion as a platform to spread a message of positivity, female empowerment, equality, love, and all things good. <laughs> Which I think is really, it is part of the whole, I think, the internet. And, the, you know, people are wanting to, you know, raise the bar a little bit and share some joy of their lives and of their passions. So... Um, I really love her. <laughs> it's a, as you can see, she has, you know, it is very positive messaging and um, great colours. And, um, sorry, I think I'll click it on. And finally, uh, this is the beard salad, which I think, um, I don't know if uh, it's... You'd call it a traditional form of fashion illustration. I don't know, have you familiar with this work at all? And yeah, yeah. Um, and this is a, a, by a guy called Didier uh, Falzone, um, and he lives in Milan with his cat called Anselmo, and as an art director, he's worked on a wide range of publications for both major consumer magazines and independent projects, and I really love his sort of independent uh, spirit, his sort of street style uh, attitude, and um, some... He plays with great volumes and things like that. So, so I just wanted to show you what's out there. I'm sure you're all familiar with... There is a whole other one. There we go, back to the beginning. Um, Thank you very much. Um, So, uh, just to give you a sense of what's happening, um, but really the world of fashion illustration and fashion drawing in particular has has a long tradition. um, And uh, it's not just uh, drawing fashion, it's fashion designers Creating fashion and it's also reporting fashion, and um, and that's why we have Danny here for the NGV, <laughs> because the NGV, as I mentioned in the introduction, has acquired this extraordinary collection, and part of this collection is not only uh, garments, is actually a lot of research material, and, um, and I think it's time for you, Danny, to show us some wonders. Yeah, All right.
0: that would be great. I'm just going to grab yeah, the pointer. <laughs> Um, so, as James mentioned um, in his little intro bio about me, um, I'm working on an exhibition which is drawn from um, a gift uh, that Christina Campbell pretty gave to the gallery in 2015. She purchased um, about 130 significant French couture garments, um, you know. Names that you'd be very familiar with Dior, Chanel, Vionnet, Lanvin. Um, But as part of that gift, she also purchased um, a lot of uh, research materials, which now comprises the Christina Campbell Pretty Fashion Research Archive. So you think you had a long title. (laughs) Um, But it's a really um, phenomenal resource for us um, because often we've been able to find, um, and you'll see that the image in the centre of The screen there, the photo, is of a Vionnet dress. We have that particular dress in the collection. So, for us, it's really um, great because there are lots of potential uh, match-ups. But also, it talks about um, design process and also how um, the fashionable image circulates. So, um, this slide's just to give you a a sense of the breadth of the collection. We have the Fashion um, sketches, which are the workbooks of um, Madame Grey, We also have a photography um, component, so we have um, works by leading photographers um, of particular French design houses that have appeared in sort of the pages of Vogue or Huffers Bazaar. Um, There's Ephemera, that particular um, album that you see open is a sketch album from jean Van, um, and then we have fashion publications and serials so you know we think about fashion magazines today yes we have vogue and harper's and, and other sorts of things but we also have great early 20th century and late 19th century um, fashion publications so um, it's a really great um, resource for us um, I'm just going to show you some of the, you know, a few slides that kind of help illustrate it because I think, like James mentioned, in thinking about this talk, fashion illustration, I guess, has two different sort of purposes. And if you've seen either of the documentaries, um, the YSL or the Manolo one, um, fashion um, illustration in that sense is very much... A part of the design process. It's a means for um, the designer to conceive of um, an idea of a garment, you know, be that a dress or a pantsuit or a, a coat. It's also a means of communicating to the atelier who will make the garment. Um, but then it is also um, an image that has that helps sell the garment. And so uh, this is a, a sketchbook by Van. Um, here are some early fashion plates from the 1900s from a French fashion house bouetsurs and these are the kinds of things that would be in circulation they're kind of, I guess they're sort of early press sketches so they'd be circulated um, to buyers um, who would then or, or to clients who would then make a selection of you know oh, make make a selection of pieces for their wardrobe um, you can see the sort of illustration style here very different to <laughs> 2017 um, Jean Dess, here as a couple of beautiful sketches which have um, been kind of hand coloured and you can see the fabric samples which are attached to the sketches um, and then the, at the end just a wonderful letter which relates to the Um, the sketch of the woman uh, wearing a sort of broderie anglaise outfit, which is from, I guess, the vendors of the salon to a client saying, you've chosen this particular work. It's, um, you know, in a light cotton, but I think it will be too cold for the colony, and may I suggest you do this design in in a slightly heavier wool. Um, So there's, like, wonderful, wonderful things in the archive. Um, But also... uh, just in acknowledging the, the topic of today's conversation, we have a great suite of um, illustrations by Yves Saint Laurent from his 1966 collection. So um, you'll see, in, for those of you that have seen the documentary, they um, pull out and discuss these fashion charts, which were, um, it's interesting because I think Saint Laurent, um, because he spent time at Dior, Dior worked in this manner too. He would go off and he would sketch hundreds of you know, things they, he would come back to the salon, he would work to edit down the selection with his kind of right-hand woman, Marguerite Carré, and they, and they would produce these charts. And what the chart tells you is what the work is, uh, what it looks like, the fabric it will be made in, who's going to make it, whether it goes to the tailoring workshop or whether it goes to the dressmaking um, workshops and then the model that would parade it in the salon. So in yeah, in the documentary they bring out a lot of these charts and you can see here um, the sketch of um, the wonderful long dress and the, the silk fabric it'll be designed in and then how it ends up as exactly the same piece in the, in the chart. Um, and there's just a, another good example of... The charts with some works in our collection. So um, this is this chart's just a facsimile; it's not the original. But I just thought it was interesting, given the nature of the documentary. Um, and the other um, thing, as I mentioned, uh, which is you know what we. Think of today with a lot of fashion illustration is you know the fashion editorial, and so we just ha- I've just have some examples here of some very early fashion publications. Um, I think the first thing you could really call a fashion magazine began in 1785. So that was a publication with a monthly circulation. There were three engravings, um, three fashion plates, and that would be sort of um, I think it was available in Paris and London, two key fashion centres. This one is from uh, about 1915 and you can see, you know, the other thing to think about too, which is quite interesting, is that couture as an industry only really starts at the tail end of the 19th century. So, um, you know, we, we know kind of Charles Worth, the founder of couture and then those early fashion houses like Poiret um, and so on. So. At that particular point in time, this was a very important tool for selling what was a very expensive, <laughs> um, you know, industry to to a kind of, I guess, an upper class or an aristocratic audience. Um, you know, by the time we get to sort of the fashion magazine with photography, you're, you're talking about a, a much wider kind of middle class audience. So um, this is very early fashion uh, illustration in, based on engravings, but we have. Um, these very important copies of Gazette de Bonton, which really did re- revolutionise fashion illustration. It was published uh, sort of 1911 to 15, then with a break because of the war, and began again in 1920. Um, but you can see it, it's very, you know, very different in terms of its colour and the sets of the kind of art deco references. Um, it featured all the very best French houses um, and really broke the mould in terms of, uh, I guess, in, on a technical as well as, you know, um, sort of, I guess, publication standards. So this is a kind of pushoir technique, which is like a stenciling-based technique. Um, again, another okay. from that, you know, early 1920s period, Art goutte Um, And then I I just thought I'd include these. There are two books that were published um, by Poiret. He commissioned um, the very best leading illustrators of the day, Paul Uribe and Georges Lepop. This is uh, from 1911 and then the next one on the screen is from 1908. So you can see the slight sort of difference in styles. But in producing these books, which were, you know, I guess essentially advertising... um, it was very much a collaborative exercise so it wasn't draw the clothes as they are, it's not like a sketch where every little detail you need to know where the waist nips in or you know how the shoulder's going to fall or anything, it was very much about in the manner of you interpret the work um, according to your kind of artistic style and pick out um, the texture or the colour or the kind of I guess um, emotion behind the work so um, that's that's a little, you know, bit from me on fashion. <laughs> fashion <it's> illustration <laughs> and fashion history. We probably I think, move on I think to the 21st century.
1: <laughs> <laughs> but the really exciting <laughs> thing about this acquisition is mm. that it's now part of the how everyone can access mm. it. eventually, once it's digitised and conserved yeah. and everything. Mm. You know, this is a resource for all of us who are interested in fashion, which I think is really terribly exciting because... You know, it's only through these donations that it it becomes possible. So Mm. yeah, so start writing your letters of application to the NGV by appointment. (laughs) (laughs) I thought maybe we should to give you, if you haven't seen the uh, documentary on that we're screening, uh, the drawings of Isanlarong. I want to give you a taste of what you might better see. Um, If we could cue the first Isanlarong one clip, please, Chris, and just this gives you a sense of his incredible output and. he's also extreme uh, you know talent in drawing <laughs> and, and through this film, you also the, the, they slightly animate the illustrations, and there's something, not that they really need it actually, because the the sketches themselves are already you know these living and breathing items. But you just get this extra sense of how the flow and everything. As illustrators, how do you, how what do you think of Issa uh legacy and his work? Have you have, do you, do you have any thoughts on? <laughs> It should be on. It's just whatever. has it been on the whole time? Yes. I've yeah. Just been shoving it down there. That's okay. Tub- <laughs> <laughs> has actually really been on. No, that's off. It's off. So fine, everything yeah. I thought I was
2: whispering is being. <laughs> 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 Sorry, <laughs> blanket apology. Um, I absolutely love his drawings and yeah. love. Uh, it's really nice seeing how how much they were valued and still are and how much a part of the design process they were. And I know that it's not everyone's design process to draw, but to me, it definitely always has been in my work as a designer. Um, and I just think... I wish it was valued more here than it is. It's definitely valued still in France. And, you know, Pierre Berger, like set up a school that's still going that is very strict on traditions that um, the... You know, you have to do apprenticeships with the top houses, and if you register as a couturier, you're you're obliged to have apprentices and things like that to pass on your trade. Whereas here, that just doesn't happen, and it, you know, sort of gets dumbed down a bit. Um, but anyway, yeah, I just. I, it would be nice if more places <laughs> loved the drawings as much as that but he's he's very much did represent the final garment which is also quite unusual um, for that initial sketch to have the absolute mood of what the garment turned into. Mm.
3: Yeah I do love the characters that he creates as well I think that's yeah, yeah just quite unique to him because yeah. I quite often will draw a f- add the face in whereas yes. a lot of Illustrators like when they <clears throat> excuse me when they're designing clothes, they'll just actually it's just, it's just from there down. But he does the whole character, which I think adds to it as well. Yeah. I
1: think, well, he was famous for also... He he created the millinery and the jewellery and everything, which not, not even... Actually, most couturier or designers don't. They either have departments which respond or engage milliners and jewellery designers, but Yves Saint Laurent created everything, which is, you know, the more you start to scratch the surface of Yves Saint Laurent, the more impressive he seems, I think. Yeah. Yeah. There's
0: this really great yeah. moment... Sorry if I'm telling people something they've already seen, but there's a great moment <laughs> in the film where... Um, there's a sketch and they take it to the work, um, the tailoring workshop and I think Jean-Pierre's there and they look at it and they have the toile, which is the kind of three-dimensional translation of the the sketch and they've coloured in the lapel of the jacket because on the sketch the line is slightly darker and that obviously means that the lapel is like a black satin and I thought it's incredible that they can tell the fabric from the line work. Um And the other interesting thing I thought, and this might be for you, Katie, because I know you do a lot of watercolour work, um, is that until St. Laurent's sort of um, famous opera, um, Ballet Russe collection, all the sketches were black and white and then he, or in kind of pencil, and then he was not very well at that moment and he produced up to a thousand sketches for that collection and they're all resolved in these incredible beautiful kind of emerald greens and rich reds and the fabrics it was like it yeah it was like um just like he painted the collection and it was such a kind of sensory and opulent and that's what the collection looks like when it you know, was presented. Um, but I thought that was interesting, that kind of shift and just thinking about how you both work whether it is sort of in colour or whether you do the line work first or mm.
2: <laughs> Well I, in terms of design I would always actually sketching grey lead first. I, I had a picture in my head while I was drawing of what it would be and a feel for the fabric, but, um, but I would design that that way first, so I guess more about the shapes, but a lot of people design um, or choose colours and fabrics first. Um, when I designed for Gorman, uh, I was um, a bit thrown off because um, Lisa would always worked in a way of choosing a colour palette and ordering fabric and having it dyed up before designing. And I was like, are you mad? Because any time I tried to do that, it's like, oh, I love that lime green, oh God. Oh, and that fabric, oh, I'll buy that. And then couldn't think of anything that would work in it to do it. So you'd end up with all of this fabric left over. So for me, the shapes and then the colours, But um, but a lot of people are definitely colour and fabric first.
3: Yeah, well, I don't design, I just, paint other people's beautiful designs (laughs) but um, I guess it just depends Um, I don't often sketch before I do a watercolour because the water just tends to go where it goes and doesn't stay in the lines but um, yeah if I'm using a different medium I'll I'll try and sketch things out as well yeah just to get the nice flow and proportions and things yeah
1: the other um, half of our um, season this year is um, Manolo Blahnik. Have, have have people seen the film at all yet? No, I I, I really want to share with you the trailer uh, for this film because it really gives you a sense of the unique character that Manolo Blahnik is. If we could uh, cue the trailer, please. That would be he's great. an incredibly fascinating man and you do get some insight into his uh, process and his life as well. Um, he's based in Bath in, Lon- in England and... Where he lives in the incredible Georgian uh, mansion, I guess, or a terrace, but they're not like terraces here; they're you know quite palatial. And I think he's bought several of them on either side now to hold his collection of thirty thousand or so pairs of shoes. So, you know, (laughs) I think I've got a lot of shoes, but I've got a long way to go. So, (laughs) and I don't live in Bath. But uh, (laughs) there's a a, a book that's there's been several books published on uh, Manolo's illustrations. Um, apparently they've, they've been very well received public-wise and you know, have gone into reprint, um, and people really respond, respond to the, his particular uh, uh, take on fashion illustration and the way he, he devises his shoes from scratch from the illustration first and then the shoe is created. Um, We have some footage actually of that and um, if we could cue, I think it's the second Manolo clip, thanks, that would be Manolo sketches, thanks. He's, yeah, he's truly extraordinary and I don't know if there's many people working in the world of fashion quite like him at the moment. I just, yeah, and you know these, he is with a long list of designers like Karl Lagerfeld, Karl Lagerfeld's probably another at least decade old, I think um, Manolo's about 75 now. And it's, it is almost terrifying to think of a world without these creative geniuses. Yeah. But, I mean, they are going to leave quite an extraordinary legacy behind them. And, they, you know, they do revive their houses after they've gone, I guess, sometimes yeah. for better or worse. <laughs> I mean, it's,
0: it's, as you point out, like, it's an interesting shift. Like, th- there aren't that many designers who work in this particular way, at the moment like you know even John Galliano who who did sketch yeah. he would also have like image boards and um he put together kind of books of reference which he would then hand over to the atelier and they would make up toiles and then he would kind of work with the toiles to refine the idea and someone like Raf Simons who yeah. came to couture very new he in you know when he took over at Dior he didn't sketch at all he nice. would put together the kind of inspirations and then the you know like a work with the team in-house to kind of sketch the design and then that would move on so yeah yeah, I mean I think it's yeah it's a shame like it's such a beautiful part of the process and you can see you know how an idea comes together how it's conceived of and then how it's resolved in a very different yeah. yeah
1: And he's also a very hands-on designer, mm. which you get to learn in the documentary. He's not just he's not mm. just hands-on in this aspect, but also in the manufacturing and the actual creation of the heels. He gets to, he is in the factory. He is shaping those heels to within a millimeter of their lives, and um, and creating. You know, he's you know every shoe that he designs, he mm. creates from scratch. And you know, there are a few design houses. That would, you know, they have teams of people that create um, their collections, and it all comes. But for him, it all comes to him, down to him. I mean, people make the shoes. He doesn't make the shoes, obviously. But, um, but I think it's it's a real. T- mm-hmm. Well, yeah, he, he he would, and he did, and and you see. I don't know if you recognize in that trailer. There was a small um, uh, some clips from the Marie Antoinette Sofia Coppola's film, and he did make all. Apparently, he made. All the, f- the shoes himself for that film. So yeah, he's he's even yeah, the he's
0: runners. <laughs> <laughs> the
1: runners. I don't. Yes, I don't. I was watching it the other day, and the, I don't know. There's. There, you see a pair of Converse trainers or something. I'm sure there, they were Converse. Yeah, and it just, I was like, what the hell are they doing there? But anyway, I was just
3: noticing that he um, wears gloves when he yes. draws as well. So it's obviously a very important part of his process that he takes care yeah. not to like. Smudge things. Oh right. So is that like is that, that
1: a practical mm. thing, is yeah, it from yeah. a drawing yeah. point of view? I yeah. He does yeah. That. yeah. Yeah. No, I you don't know. Um yeah, he's uh, this it's he's he's worked with everyone basically. He's worked with Grace Coddington and you see some of the other people in the trailer. Um And I just want to read this quote from um, Chloe Fox, who published a a book on him recently, uh, where she she, she highlights, it's dubbed the Picasso Shoes by Grace Collington. Manolo Blahnig is one of the handful of designers whose name is synonymous with their product. His greatest achievement is to have made footwear the most important of all fashion accessories. And his elegant embroidered high heels, flower embellished sandals, demure Mary Janes and bejeweled satin mules endow the wearer with instant glamour and sex appeal. And I think there is something really, there is something magical about putting on, I would imagine, I've never worn a pair of shoes and even the men's wears, I've never made, tried on a pair of his men's shoes, but there, is some, there must be something transformative about wearing something as extraordinary as that, I would imagine.
2: There is. Yes, there is.
1: Yeah. <laughs> About wearing fabulous pairs of shoes. Yeah. But I can't
2: yeah. wear his shoes or Jimmy Choo's because I've got really wide feet. They're shaped like <laughs> ducks' feet. And I've never been able to wear those shoes. So it's Probably saved me many thousands yeah, I of dollars. Think so. <laughs> but but the, other high heels, yeah. Yes. Yeah. And beautiful, beautifully made anything. I think is yeah. Fantastic, yeah. fantastic to put on. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. yeah. And just like yes. that, crafted kind of.
3: That's right. Yeah. Yes. Mm.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And the, the, you see this. Um, He's crafting his shoes, and he, but he's talking to a contemporary generation, a bit like Karl Lagerfeld, who is quick to pick up the sort of the latest model or whatever. He's, you know, he collaborates with people like Rihanna and it's like, who who does that? You know, Rihanna, you know, this 20-something-year-old mm-hmm. from Barbados. But, mm-hmm. you know, I think he can really appreciate talent yeah. and sees the talent in other people. And mm-hmm.
0: yeah. Well, it's like when Vetements did that collection and they... Yeah. Worked with the best of the best in each Mm. particular discipline. Mm. It was the, yeah. Manolo yeah. Blanick for the... Yeah. And Karl Lagerfeld
2: is another beautiful sketcher.
1: Yes, that's right, mm. yes, yeah. And there has been a documentary made about his mm. sketching, his Books. endless sketching, actually, yeah. Mm. yeah. Mm. And I think he is a furious sketcher, yeah. yeah. He is, yeah. yeah. And, um, yeah and, and he works on 17 collections a year, so he has to be, yes. I think, so, yeah. <laughs> yeah, he'd be fast. <laughs> He's very fast. <laughs> I thought we'd just show this little clip, it's just for a few seconds, and um, where Manolo talks about um, what he does at night Let's, let's ha- check this out. <laughs> just a little taste there. That's from a, a clip from the MT, M2M, Made to Measure Television Network. So if you're ever are looking for a bit of fashion fix, just log on and uh, check out some of the, sh- the incredible shorts that they have. So, um, yeah, it's, it's, there's a, a 10 minute interview with Manolo, and, he's, and he talks about his process at, at greater length and some of the shoes that he is most proud of. So, do check it out.
2: I'm actually a little bit curious as to whether he does rougher sketches than that initially. Normally yeah, with yeah, the design, yeah. you do lots of quick rough sketches. You wouldn't take something to a finished drawing until that's right. the fully realised design. Oh, but okay. it, when he was yeah. doing it in an earlier clip and talking mm-hmm. about it, he seemed to be making it up as he was going along. Yes,
1: yeah, yeah. Well, mm. you might not to investigate that further. Investigate yeah. <laughs> that? <laughs> Which is, I'm glad you brought that up, Angie. I'd yeah, yeah. like to sort of know a bit more about your process as an illustrator and um, what your ap- approach is to this craft. And oh. we've got some clip. we've got oh, some work right. on the screen which we can clip through. Um,
2: yeah. Well, I mean, it's it's very different. As an illustrator, as opposed to when I was working as a d- designer, um, and in terms of, because I, I teach a lot of fashion students, and uh, and I say the irony is, I say you, learning to draw is very important, and not enough schools okay. value it, and it's not even in, uh, so, you know, like say RMIT, the four-year honours degree doesn't have a drawing subject. Oh, I I bitch about it endlessly, to their <laughs> face as well, um, <laughs> and I, I run the, a fashion illustration elective there, mm-hmm. but. Um, it doesn't necessarily get run all the time, and and stuff. And I say, how can it not be valued to that degree? It's it's yeah. crazy because um, you can't always just start your own business. And uh, if you can draw, you have a much better chance of getting a job. And pretty much every design job I ever got, I beat someone else to it because of my drawings. Because if it's you know if you're the same sort of level of designer, but that person can draw and that person can't. Right. They would choose the person that can draw. Um, but the irony being that once you're in the design role, you never do those nice drawings, you do these stupid flat sketches, you know, because it's rush, 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 you know, or you work for companies where it's all just uh, the drawing is replaced by a sample bought from Zara. Um, but, you know, but it will still get you the job. Uh, so, you know, that always frustrated me as a designer, and I did the illustration on the side and until it became my full time thing. Um, but it's it's kind of funny. Um, I have a, a a repeating pattern of with my professional work that because I teach a lot, uh, well, I teach a bit, but I do a lot of drawing, demo drawings, because part of the process is. Oh, yeah. thanks. <laughs> Once I start talking, that's it. Oh, it's the arrow. Yeah, there you go. Um, so part of my uh, method of teaching is, is demonstrating, because I believe you know, your teacher should be able to do what they're teaching you. Um, and I guess I'm passionate about it, because when I studied fashion at RMIT a million years ago, um, I could draw fine art drawings really well, but I couldn't do fashion figures, and no one, none of the teachers could draw and no one could help, which just blew my mind. And it took me a really long time to try and figure it out, and when I finally did, I thought, hmm... You, someone could have taught that to me pretty quickly <laughs> and that's one of the reasons I like teaching it because I nice. believe in a process but the demo drawings that I do are done very rushed and I'm talking while I'm doing it they're unfinished, they're a bit of a mess and I'm usually showing a couple of different things on it and they are always my most popular drawings and even with clients they're the ones that they'll reference <laughs> It's just a demo, it was a lazy Instagram post. It's, you know, that's not a real drawing. Look at my real drawings. And they're not interested in them because they don't have the same life in it. And so the theory there being that um, people do, um, people prefer something that's um, just got more energy in it and, you know, Yves Saint Laurent's drawings had such beautiful energy. They were obviously drawn quickly and a lot of gesture in them. Um, So I try to remember that. um, Showing some really carefully drawn things. Uh, (laughs) Nothing gestural there. (laughs) There's a demo. There's a demo. uh, Teaching gouache paint and leaving stuff out. Um, But Yeah, unfortunately, the more important the job, it's another demo. the more important the job, the more I tighten up and, you know, right. <laughs> draw with the stick up my ass, as I say. Um, <laughs> you know, it's like, you know, if I could just pretend. There's another demo. So you see, you know, the. Whereas if it was a drawing for someone, I had to do a test when I, I did a, a job for Jimmy Choo, but initially it was a test, it was through my agent, and three of the illustrators from the agency were, test, were tested. So you had to do a few drawings to see if you got the job. And I was like, oh my God, it's Jimmy Choo, it's Jimmy Choo. I pretty much had a stroke <laughs> doing that, that trial. There's another demo, they're all demos. Um, and I, I'm joking, but I'm not joking. I, thought I, was, I actually thought I was having a stroke at one stage and someone phoned me in the middle of it and they said, I think it's just a panic attack. And, he, and I said, are you sure? Because I'm losing feeling in my hands. <laughs> and I thought, I just, it's too tight, it's too tight. I need to relax, I'll have a drink. I'll have a wine, I'll go and have a wine. So I poured a wine. And started drawing, I was like, oh, now I'm drunk. I can't draw it, I'm drunk. I'll have, I've got some Sudafed somewhere, I'll have a Sudafed. Oh, and then I was just, I thought, I'm thought i off my face, I can't draw it now. And I didn't get it. And, um, but I said, like, well, fair enough, it was not very good. Um, and then ironically, two months later, <laughs> my agent emailed me and she said, you won't believe it. They've changed art directors and now they wanna go with someone else. Cause you know, whenever someone changes, they go, everything that the other person yeah. did was rubbish. Yeah they should have done this. And so I got the job two months later. (laughs) And then then the stroke started again. But but it wasn't as bad because I actually had the job then. Uh, So it was a a lesser version. Um, But I still didn't think... It's probably in here somewhere. There's some of it. That's some of the drawings. I didn't think it was my best work by any means because I look at that and I remember all the nervous breakdowns I had doing it. Um, and the, the minute you've finished a job and you send it off, you could draw it again and do it 100 times better. Yeah. But That's the psychology of, <laughs> of drawing and expectation and performance anxiety. <laughs> so um, this is from some collaborations I did with Lalou Boutique and an ad that went in Vogue Brides that was, so that's of the interior of their store. They're actually a really nice boutique that really value art mm-hmm. and fashion illustration.
1: Well, they, they, they do have such a great legacy in Melbourne. I'm sure many of you are familiar with the Louvre and um, is it Georgia Whiteman, White, Lillian, Lillian. Lillian Whiteman, yeah, who established this legacy and, you know, and I thought that particular work of yours was very, um, you know, harking back to another era, yeah. really, of Collins Street, of this mm. sort of fashion street. And, you know, it's, you know, it's probably not quite the same now as based in South Yarra. It's a very much a converted industrial space. It's, and it's very edgy with lots of graffiti and everything. Yeah. yeah. But I, I love that they are still drawing from their past like Absolutely. That. Yeah. 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 Mm. And that there is actually
2: mm. a lot of art yeah. around the store. Yeah. Another demo
1: might be the last one. Okay. A lot of are. shoes. A lot of shoes? Yes, yeah. <laughs> it's my
2: attempt at making shoes tax deductible, yeah, but as we discussed earlier, my accountant won't, won't buy it. <laughs> but I, I keep trying. Like, and
1: really? it's certainly in the... I think I think it's in the Manolo Blahnik. I've probably been doing too much research, so it's all starting to blur now. But um, he talks about, at one point, the the shoes that I think he thought would be really big sellers... Are absolute commercial flops, and the ones always. that he that he didn't even think twice about are the ones that they sell by the truckload. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It's always the way. Yeah, yeah. It's Murphy's law, I guess. Yeah, yeah. beautiful. Demos, yeah. right? Yeah. You <laughs> see, they're <yeah. laughs> the only ones you like. Demos. <laughs> uh, yeah. Well. <laughs> <laughs> so
2: the South China Morning Post. Oh wow. Yeah. Oh yes. Wrapping uh, paper. Yeah. Right. right. <laughs> yeah. It's actually. Um. Yeah. It is wrapping paper, through. Um a card company that licensed some of my stuff, Mm. demos. What would I be without my demos? (laughs) Careful stuff. See, no-one cares. Brilliant, brilliant, brilliant.
1: brilliant. (laughs) Thank you for sharing your work with us. That's great. (laughs) Our second illustrator here today is Katie Gifford, And, Katie, I'm really... I was really struck by the story of your collaboration with Virgil Abloh and Off-White. I think this is... I think this is something that should be shouted from the rooftops in, in Melbourne but I you're you're a very humble person I feel Thank like you. and um I'm I'm glad
3: that I get this forum now cuz I think my friends are sick of hearing
1: this. Oh forum. really? <laughs> <laughs> well I'm not, and um, I don't think we are yet and um and I don't I don't know if everyone's familiar with Off-White and Virgil Abloh he's he's really one of the new guards of American fashion when you say he's um He's really, he's growing in an incredible rate at the moment, and as you alluded to in in some correspondence, he's creating endless collections at the moment. Um, There is a store in Melbourne now, which um, is uh, is an extraordinary store in itself that they've collaborated with an Australian artist to do the interior of the store. So you already get a sense that he is taking fashion in a whole new direction, and he's, um, he's bringing in lots of Different creative voices, I guess, to his practice, including yours. You. <laughs> um,
3: also, uh, one thing that I discovered about him along the way was mm. his background is in architecture, oh, right. which is why all of his stores are more um, different, differently designed. Makes sense, so he's very yeah. hands-on in that kind mm-hmm. of way, creating a an experience as you go Absolutely. into the store as well. And then I think a lot of his um, the higher-end fashion that he has on runway shows, mm. they're a lot more structured uh, as well. Mm-hmm. And also that's where um, his kind of motif is the diagonal lines that you see yeah. on a lot of his Everywhere. stuff.
1: Yeah. Um,
3: <laughs> which yeah. Which um, comes from, like, the diagonal lines on the construction tape around buildings and stuff. Is there. Yeah, so a lot of his stuff kind of references other things mm-hmm. other than fashion, which... Um, which I think is why he gives a kind of a unique... Right. Um, yes, his has his own kind of weird, funky style.
1: And so how did you and him join forces?
3: Um, through Instagram. Right. Yes. <laughs> yeah, it was weird, <laughs> on Instagram. Uh, yeah, so how it came about was I was... Um, I was in the middle of doing a 100-day project with some friends and we'd okay. kind of got together and we'd all picked um uh, whatever topic we wanted and mine was fashion illustration so I had to do a fashion illustration every day for 100 days and post that on Instagram um I did cheat along the way because it was <laughs> quite difficult but um yeah and by the end um because I was uh, working full-time as well so um there was moments where I just would like run home quickly, like look on Pinterest or somewhere for like some inspiration yeah. and then just be like, okay, that'll do. And then just like quickly draw it and hate it, but post it right. anyway, yeah. cause I didn't yeah. have time to do another one. Yeah. Um, and, uh, yeah, so I just came across this image, um, which, I don't know if we have it here. So this is the final, um, product that we, that I did. Um, It's the final artwork. i just, yeah, so this is the um, piece that I, um, that he, um, that attracted his attention. Um, And uh, I just saw the image and just, I don't know, there was something about, about, I love the jeans and um, again, it was all kind of weird and constructed. Um, And... Yeah, that's his his design. Oh, um, so that was um, 2016. So the company had only been around for yeah. a year or yeah, so it's, it's um, before then. Um, and I'd never heard of Off-White at this stage. I just liked the clothes. So um, as I was doing on my 100-day uh, project, I um, would just tag whatever the, the label was wow. and then... Um, and then go to bed, because it was about one in the morning, every (laughs) morning. Um, And yeah, and then I woke up the next day after tagging off white and I had this message um, from this guy called Virgil, who again, I'd never heard of either. Um, And it just said, um, I really love your watercolors. Um, It'd it'd be great to use some elements in designs. Um, So then I went to work and quickly Googled Virgil Abloh off-white and um, then all over the internet of course there were like all these articles about um, Virgil Abloh was like the creative director to Kanye West and I looked on his account he had like at the time I think he had like 600,000 followers (laughs) and um, yeah and off-white was like a bit more, a few hundred thousand more than that and I was just like what? (laughs) Yeah, so um, so then I was just freaking out. Um, and so I just, like, tried to act cool, <laughs> <a> bit <laughs> casual. <laughs> um, and was just like, that would be great. What were you thinking? And I actually remember um, I did that little smiley face with the sunnies just to, like, make sure I put across that I was just being really cool. Um, <laughs> but I think that's kind of, you know, what kind of, um, made him reply.
1: <laughs> um,
3: and uh, yeah, he was just like, um, I'm just thinking, like, just some prints on fabrics. Um, and I was just like, great, let's do it. And then I just got, heard nothing. And I was I like, said. okay, of course. Um, and then a few weeks went by and I called some friends and was like, what do you think I should do? And they'll just like, just message him again. Um, so I did, and then and then it was just on from there. He um, replied and was like, "Here's my phone number. Text me." And then so I did, and then my phone just didn't stop for um, the next eight hours. He was like, he was on a plane, and he was just sending me all these images and just thoughts and ideas, and um, it was. Incredible. I was just sitting at my work and my phone was just like, buzz, 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 buzz. I was just like, oh, nothing. <laughs> um, and um, yeah, and then I think the whole collaboration lasted about three months um, and it just kind of shifted and changed and there was a whole bunch of different ideas. He's just constantly on and there's just always, um, yeah, just ideas and he's very fast. Um, and, um, yeah, it was a real... I was a bit worried that he would just be, like, um, I want it to be like this. But he really kind of let me just do whatever. He'd, like, throw mm. some ideas out. And, um, mm. and then, um, yeah, so those, there was some of the things that I did. Um, didn't end up making nice. the cup. But, um, yeah, this was originally going to be more of a, um, yeah. uh, like, a... Full print all over fabric, um, but then uh, it just changed to just a smaller print. And then, yeah, the rose with the um, the spider, um, I wanted to add the spider yeah. and a bee just to kind of make it a bit more modern, I mm-hmm. think. Um, yeah. Yeah. yeah, so his stuff is quite... Um, see, that's the construction side in the background. Yes, I, was, like, I noticed
1: a that. That was very good. <laughs> <great. Yes>. um,
3: <laughs> uh, yeah, so he was very... Um, it was a lot of back and forward with mm-hmm. ideas. He was very open to um, suggestions and um, and uh, it was also very weird at times. <laughs> um, uh, cause he's a, well, because um, most of it was just through um, uh, text messaging right. yeah. um, was yeah. like the majority of modern? <laughs> very modern, and he was obviously um, he's a very busy guy so there's a lot of yeah. spelling mistakes right. and weird things and um <laughs> yeah so um uh i'd be like I'd, at times i'd be like can you read this and like let me know what you think yeah, he's saying because yeah. i don't really understand <laughs> and i'd freak you out and then um yeah um and also he would be um like i was saying he's very on so you'd get like millions of text messages from him and he'd be throwing ideas at you and then um, you'd send him something and then you wouldn't hear anything for mm. weeks as well. So it was, yeah. it was a real roller coaster.
2: Um, he was probably getting Siri to type the text. <laughs> very possibly, uh, right. yeah. yeah. Sort
1: of Quite speech, possibly. Yeah, automated yeah. speech, whatever, yeah. And yeah, yeah, she's just yeah, like, yeah, I don't yeah, know what yeah. that is. Yeah. Yeah. Um,
3: <laughs> um, anyway, yeah, it was one of the... He, he definitely... Um, pushed me in, like, creatively, um, and, um, yeah, it was, it's just one of the most fun things I've ever done. (laughs) And then, um, but then having said that, it was, um, uh, once I kind of gave him all the final artwork, um, it was supposed to be for the Fall Winter 17 collection, and then um, I hadn't really kind of heard much And then I watched the runway show, and as they were kind of coming out, I was like, I can't really see how my stuff is going to fit in here. Um, And then, um, so then I was like, oh, okay, well, that actually didn't happen in the end. Um, And then, again, a few months later, I just got this random email saying, can you confirm your delivery address? And we want to send you a bunch of stuff. Um, And then, yeah, it was all kind of, out there oh, wow. and they did end up using it so again it was all wow. it's all very weird yeah. and um <laughs> but yeah surreal and amazing
1: yeah well congratulations Thank I you. think that Thanks. is extraordinary yeah <laughs> yeah <laughs> and any more offers since then from um Virgin? he said yes? that um
3: yeah. he would like to do some more stuff yeah, yeah for sure yeah. and I've stayed in contact with him yeah. actually one of the um the designs that i did which he didn't actually end up using um i was going through my phone the other day and right. it the artwork came up and i was like it's such a bummer that would have looked so amazing on a t-shirt yeah. mm. um so i was like you know what it's, i'm probably not allowed but i'm gonna print it on a t-shirt myself just <laughs> so, <laughs> yeah. so i can have one yeah. <laughs> and then i did it um and i got it back and it it looked great and then i thought knowing that he's very into his background is in to kind of like Um, skateboarding and DIY kind of shirts, band shirts and stuff from back in the day, Um, I was like, I think he would actually appreciate this, so I just sent him a photo of my shirt and he was like, can you make me one of those as well? (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yeah, that's very exclusive shirts out there. Yeah.
1: (laughs) Yeah. I think that just must be, yeah, audience. it's such a great, I think it's a real validation of your work as well, oh, so, you yeah. know, so. You um, need a yeah. selfie
2: together, both in the t-shirts, though. Yes, yeah, yeah. yeah, exactly, yeah.
1: We've got a couple of, a few minutes for any questions you might have, we welcome anything, comments, questions, anyone has, and so we've got a mic, we'll just get the mic to you so we can, all hear you loud and clearly, yeah, go ahead. Thank you.
2: Why isn't fashion illustration uh, valued as a skill here in the way it is in overseas, particularly in Europe
1: for emerging and emerging designers and students as well?
2: I wish I knew because it's really important to me. Um, I think it's partly we don't have so much of the traditions here like France is very, very serious about their traditions and their rules for things that keep those traditions alive for that purpose, and that was, I think, Pierre Berger's, um purpose with that, because I think it even applies to media um, that come out of the school, and stuff like fashion media. But um, And I think it's also a lot to do with the Australian fashion industry's tradition of plagiarism, where you don't need to draw it because it's just a sample. Uh, so that helps dumb it down as well, Um, but there just doesn't seem to be as much of a link between art and artists and fashion Here, there's certainly in pockets there is, but I don't know. It really bothers me with RMIT, which is why I complain about it publicly constantly, Um, (laughs) and I lobby them every year. It's like I run into students and they're like, why, why don't we have you more? Why why don't we have that elective? It's like I don't know. Um, Probably because I think it also comes down to the people making the decisions not being able to draw themselves and not being into drawing therefore um, because if they could draw and they love drawing you can bet it would be in the course Mm -hmm. Um, and it really bothers me because I think that it's very sad for the students not to be able to design Mm. Um, but so I I guess I don't have more of an answer of that because it's something I'm always trying to figure out because certainly people love it Um, Mm. how are you going to communicate your design if you can't draw it Uh, you don't want to have to physically create something to be able to show someone the idea. Mm. You know, a sketch can do it in a minute. Mm. Um, And I I really wish it was. People love seeing it and people love seeing the drawings, but particularly love watching you do it. Um, And yet, uh, there seems to be... And I think it's also part of, in terms of uh, education, there's such a move towards academia and, um, you know, Buddy, post grad, whatever you know. Yeah. Learn to draw is <laughs> more important than writing a thesis, in yeah. my opinion. Um, but you know, there is. I'll never, I'll never work again in this town. Uh, <laughs> me and my loose lips. Um, but I th- yeah, there's a there's a, a a real emphasis on that and con- conceptual sort of stuff. Yeah.
0: Yeah be quick (laughs) i was just going to say and i think as you as you kind of alluded to like the different traditions i mean the the Mm -hmm. couture tradition where fashion illustration Mm -hmm. is kind of like has been embedded in that over time Mm -hmm. and is a means of communicating between the makers and the designer Mm -hmm. sets up a particular kind of Mm -hmm. relationship that isn't mirrored here in australia in a kind of ready-to-wear sense Mm -hmm. but um so that that part way explains why you know it hasn't been yeah. implemented in the same way. But yeah. I, I do agree, I think, in the same way that, I guess, old technical colleges would have taught those skills and pattern yeah. making and yeah. things like that. They're That's right. less visible.
2: Yeah.
3: yeah, I was just going to jump in. It's a bit kind of different, but um, what it reminded me of, I work as a graphic designer as well, and I think um, the drawing really... Uh, has an impact on my graphic design as well and I think a lot of graphic designers um, coming up these days um, they don't know how to draw and all the graphic designers that I love they are all illustrators and artists as well Mm. Um, yeah Yeah. I think it's definitely just a great um, way for a creative to get just the imagination and seeing Mm. things
2: differently as well yeah Yeah. well it does there it does form pathways in the brain and it Mm, sparks creative areas in the brain Mm. in terms of a chemical sense and hopefully and I think there may be a move back to more of that but I was saying to someone just recently you know when I studied fashion we did life drawing we did costume drawing um, and, and, and such and graphic design the graphic design course at RMIT, they mm. would do life drawing and stuff as well, a lot of, and general drawing, mm. because it was, you know, all, all done by hand, and now that's not in the course. Mm. But even if you're drawing on a computer and on a computer screen, you still need to draw, yeah. so you still need that hand-to-eye coordination mm. and, and stuff. So it, it doesn't make sense to me uh, why that's getting stripped out of yeah. the
0: courses.
1: Yeah, gosh, great question. Thank you. We've got another question? Yeah, thank you.
0: Um, this is going on from the question before but i was just wondering if you see and maybe danielle might know this if there's actually a connection between the way couture used to come to australia um, for instance in the 40s 50s dior would send the patterns and the fabric for those garments to be made here and so the design process of couture didn't happen so much here and maybe that's why this, the the tradition and the skills of drawing maybe haven't become quite so embedded in Australian fashion because of that history of having the designs already done and sent here
2: mm, that would make sense do you, th-
0: yeah. do, you th- do you think there's a do you think that hasn't had, had, has had an impact or um, I think it's a slightly different kind of discussion I think that's about how fashion sort of travels globally and not so much about a design process because there were certainly establishments here designing and making you know from the 19th century you know like whether they were looking to Europe for inspiration or whether um so but I guess the point that I was making before was about kind of the way couture houses are run and the way design and illustration was embedded in part of that process um and continues to be you know for some Um, But, uh, you know, there would be a lot of people who went to, you know, Emily Mack in the kind of Mm -hmm. 60s and 70s that would... You know, Linda Jackson's a good example. Mm -hmm. She There's quite a lot of her um, illustrations in the Museum of Applied Arts and Sciences in Mm -hmm. Sydney. Mm -hmm. Um, uh, And, you know, they're they're beautiful painted um, illustrations. So, um, yeah, Yeah, I think... Pruegton used to draw a lot as well. Mm. The Mm -hmm. RMIT Design Archives has a lot of her design drawings and stuff. Yeah.
2: And there are a lot. There are a lot of examples mm. of it, particularly from that era. Yeah,
0: yeah. but but then I guess like, you know I did mention earlier you know, in the discussion, you know, someone like Ralph Simons who worked at Dior mm. never drew. So, mm. um, and we wouldn't say that he didn't produce beautiful clothes. No, so, yeah. Um, yeah, it's a very. I guess we're in you know like just a moment in time where things everything's shifting. You know how we do things and yeah. what we draw upon.
1: Got one time for one more question. Was there another? Oh, oh, oh. <laughs> maybe two. We'll <laughs> have time judging. for two questions. OK. <laughs> Hi,
2: guys. Um, it's not my world, but I think that with drawing, there's a sense that it's innate and can't be learned, like other uh, like other crafts, perhaps. No. I know, because that's what I think. I think I'll never be able to draw, and, like, I want you to tell me that maybe I can learn one day. Yeah. You can definitely learn yet? to draw <laughs> one day. <laughs> it's my favourite thing in teaching fashion oh, illustration really, that yeah. um, there's always... Mm. A, there's always at least one person, there might be someone sitting in the room, uh, who will contact me before the, no, he's done my classes <laughs> or <something>, <laughs> and who writes to me before the course and says, I really can't draw. I think I need to do some practice before I do your because beginner's oh, course, oh, oh, <laughs> 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 but, because people are like, oh, I really don't have the skill. Yeah. And they usually turn out to be, as in this case, someone who is very good at it. Oh, wow. Yeah, oh, and really? it's ama- oh. It's my oh, favorite yeah. thing when uh, I, someone who believes they could could never learn to draw mm-hmm. realises that they actually can, because you can. It's harder for some people than others. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And Bill Donovan told me um, a fabulous story. Well, he's told lots of people this story. Uh, he's one of the top illustrators in the world, and he's in New York, and teaches as well, um, about when he was studying fashion illustration and he was almost kicked out of the course because he wasn't good enough and he had no idea he wasn't good enough. Um, and they started off the the chat by saying, some people... Um, just just find it very easy to learn to draw and to get very good at drawing other people and he's thinking to himself yeah that's me naturally really good at it (laughs) and they said other people have to work a lot harder to get there um you know they can get there but they have to work a lot harder and you're one of them (laughs) and uh, said that he had to set about drawing flat out um to get there and he got there and excelled and you know all of that so I always say the same things, Like, if you really want to learn to draw, you absolutely can. It might be more work for you. and But also I think it's like, I'm always saying I'm gonna start piano lessons. Mm. Um, I, I wanna play piano, I don't really wanna practise. No. You've gotta practise. <laughs> yeah. mm.
1: I think the NGV, actually, there are uh, pop-up drawing classes at the NGV, I think, aren't there? I did take that. Oh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'm all over this oh, hello, town. Oh, my God. Yeah, what don't you do? Yeah. So, there I'm was like one... It's like the Fashion Illustration Mafia. <laughs> there was, was there one final question, I think? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Thank you.
2: Um,
0: this is kind of more a comment or contribution, just to continue the discussion. I'm a primary school teacher... And last week I was in a writing workshop to enhance writing skills in our school. And what we've learnt over the course of the past few years with the digital era is that there's two different parts of the brain that will enhance the creativity of a child. And so one of the biggest things we're pushing in our school is drawing and beginning with drawing and sketching because it seems to have being devalued over time, yeah. whereas it's probably the beginning process of everything, including writing yeah. and including design processes. So, yeah, I just thought you might um, be interested.
1: Yeah. <laughs> no, thank you.
2: Yeah. There was a great article that, I can't remember the, the specifics of what it said, but it saved somewhere about the importance of teaching drawing and as children grow, uh, what it does to their brain to be taught to draw. Mm. Yeah, yeah.
1: It's revolutionary, isn't it? Yeah, of I yeah. Think that yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, thank you, everyone, for coming today. Please thank, join me in thanking our panelists.
0: <laughs> you have been listening to an Acme podcast. For more recordings, go to soundcloudcom online or the Acme website.